The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Today we're going to branch out just a little bit. You might be wondering uh, how this subject affects our wild world. But as we move through today, you'll get a deeper understanding that animal maltreatment encompasses a wide spectrum of behaviors ranging from a basic lack of knowledge and neglect to intentional and premeditated cruelty and acts of violence toward animals. Today, through the Colorado Link Project, we're going to explore how the welfare of non-human animals is impacted by the choices and behaviors of human beings, which can and do lead to animal abuse and cruelty. The Colorado Link Project provides us with a social template, a model, if you will, as to how community infrastructures can work together to respond to abuse and cruelty to the betterment of both animals and humans. To help us understand the effects of animal cruelty and abuse on our social frameworks, my guests today are Jim Pyle and Professor Philip Tedeschi from the Graduate School of Social Work at Denver University and the Institute of Human-Animal Connection. Philip is the executive director of the Institute and is internationally recognized for his research and works with human and animal interactions, both therapeutic uh, and uh, the th- therapeutic potential of animals as they rate, relate to human health, as well as the public safety and risk factors that are to be found associated with animal abuse. Jim Pyle is the project manager for the Colorado Link Project. We'll refer to that as the Link. The, the project is an institute at the human is at the Institute for Human Animal Connection, as and he is as well an adjunct faculty and field liaison at the Graduate School of Social Work at the University of Denver. Sorry for tripping over my words there. <laughs> Jim, with over 30 years of experience with high-risk youth and families, is very familiar with the patterns of abuse and cruelty, and he provides animal cruelty forensic evaluations in Colorado courts. So that's a brief background of our guests today and their expertise. So and now I would like to welcome the men themselves. Welcome, Jim and Philip. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. This is a rather intense and deep uh, issue facing our communities and individuals and nations today, the uh, relationship between the human and non-human bond. So briefly, uh, what is the link? 
and what is the importance of understanding the significance of the animal abuse of animal abuse and its correlations to human health and safety? Philip, I'm going to toss that one to you, or, oh, okay. or actually, I guess Jim, since you're the project manager. <laughs> Hi, um, the link is actually a term that was originally copyrighted by the American Humane Association uh, several decades ago, approximately, really referring to the relationship between animal cruelty and human violence, which oftentimes would be involving child maltreatment or child abuse and neglect, uh, abuse of elders, and domestic violence. So it's really talking about that relationship between how people maltreat animals and humans, oftentimes in uh, a pattern that overlaps. And we have modified our definition somewhat of the link to also include criminal behavior because there's oftentimes a close association between criminal behavior and animal cruelty. And we've also expanded it to talk more about at-risk adults because it's not just elders that are are at risk of maltreatment. There's also um, non-elder at-risk adults in our definition of the link. So it's really talking about that relationship. Okay, so we've got a a basic understanding of what um, the the link is... uh, is, is contributes to and is made up of, but how does the project, the link itself, intend to improve these relationships and uh, uh, animal welfare and the response to animal abuse across Colorado? And does it plan to go further across the nation? Well, I think uh, the link is a is a international issue. I think if we look anywhere across the world, there are issues of violence towards animals and people and oftentimes they're they're correlated so i think it it is a it's a human welfare and public safety issue across the world in colorado we were funded to to run our project the colorado link project and really looking at the fact that a wide variety of community agencies and disciplines are impacted by animal cruelty or have to respond to it in some shape or fashion. So basically we work with um, networks of animal control officers, humane societies, law enforcement agencies, courts, prosecutors, judges, veterinarians, domestic violence agencies, and victims advocacy agencies. Uh, animal shelters, human services, educational programming. And each one of those community agencies or disciplines may have a role in addressing the link. So So I'm going to back up one second and ask Philip to join in here. Although we discussed this on a previous episode of Our Wild World with Philip, Philip, can you give us just, because this is related to the Institute for Human-Animal Connection, Philip, give us that link into how IHAC, for short, is involved in the link. Sure. Well, thanks, Ellie, for uh, taking on this challenging topic on a Monday morning. Um, what, you know, the way we think about it is really that uh, 
You know, and this is, I think, exactly why it belongs on your show is that, you know, one of the points that we're trying to make is that often animals and people are in it together and are, you know, in these intricate and important relationships. And that when we understand that we have, you know, these relationships with animals and that there is a connection between us, um, you know, then in many cases, a lot of these issues start to make more sense. And I think what we're trying to educate Coloradoans about, and as Jim said, it's a worldwide, you know, it's a worldwide phenomenon, is that the way we treat animals has implications for uh, the way our communities, our families, um, you know, are also going to experience um, these relationships as well. So one of the ways that we can um, elevate the uh, the importance of animals is to understand that um, they're in many cases targets of violence, just like uh, we see children who are in harm's way or, you know, uh, persons in intimate partner rela- violent relationships, that animals can also be caught in these, um, in these webs of family violence as well. So the Institute for Human-Animal Connection, which has been at the University of Denver for a number of years now, is believes that one of the ways that we can, um, you know, really respond to both human health issues, but also animal well-being and animal welfare issues, is to educate people about this uh, this relationship. And you do that through a variety of ways. So, a, I would. Uh, request and urge my listeners to look up the Institute for Human-Animal Connection and Colorado Link on the web to find just how deep and multifaceted and layered both of these projects are in addressing the social attitudes of today and incorporating this link, this bond between humans and animals in uh, emergency responses and in res- such as Katrina and responses to ch- uh, the challenges we're, we're facing today. Our animals are considered family. So you can learn more about that with our previous episode with Philip and through the Colorado Link and the Institute for Animal Human Connection websites. So um, to get back into this uh, and, and the link, how do abuse or cruelty cases come to the attention of the link? You mentioned that you work with uh, several different community agencies. How, how, does this, how does the ball get rolling, so to speak? Well, let me just, uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll just tell you a little bit about the types, some of the kind of the clinical information we get, and Jim can tell you a little bit more about uh, how these come through the different um, organizations that we work with. But one of the things, you know, maybe just as as an example, is that, um, you know, cruelty cases um, will show up in the... Uh, the professional work of many different disciplines, whether we're talking about law enforcement officers or a a social worker who's doing child protection or maybe even a teacher who encounters this information in the court, in the, you know, in the, uh, you know, everyday work that they're doing in their classroom. Uh, In most cases, or maybe the most common, the most common case for animal cruelty is um, that, uh, a neighbor is reporting an animal cruelty incident um, that they're observing usually right in their own neighborhood, right over the backyard fence. And um, at the same time, one of the things that we um, 
we will see is that many different professions will encounter animal cruelty in the context of their their own personal um, and professional duties. So the the Colorado Link, the Link Project, is kind of, uh, and I'm, I'm almost afraid to say this, but a real-life version of what we watch on reality TV, Animal Cops, and all this. What Colorado Link does is provide the follow-up and the structure that goes beyond the show's end, correct? You guys are the ones that follow through and make uh, and try to, what, fix these relationships. And that's got to be a difficult task. We know that there's a dynamic relationship between people and animals, and they each influence the psychological and physiological state of each other. How does the link go about identifying the breakdown of this relationship? You want to tackle that, Jim? Well, I, I think I want to make several points of clarification. Part of what our project is really trying to do is increase the baseline knowledge and awareness of the different systems in our state so that the different agencies and, and programs and organizations all have a, a knowledge of how the link affects them or how they might see it, how it's relevant in their work. For instance, uh, Philip talked about maybe a child protection uh, worker out in the field. They may be there to investigate child abuse or neglect, but they actually may be seeing um, animal cruelty. Or you may have a veterinarian who's seeing animal cruelty, and they're mandated to report it. So these different parts of the system all have responsibilities, and oftentimes... The actual the legwork is done by the investigators in the field, so they're the ones that are doing you know working the cases, doing the investigations, um, presenting those for charges criminally if that's appropriate, and then making recommendations and doing all of their pieces. So it's really trying to get all the pieces working together in a more coordinated and, and coherent fashion, so that we can really identify these cases, and then move forward to determine uh, the basis for the, for the cruelty or the maltreatment. I think that's where we start to address issues of welfare, really the potential for some folks to be violent towards people as well as animals, and really opening the doors for us to, to do more work in that vein. Well, this is a huge scope, and it's uh, it's astonishing that there is this resource. So, how when did the Colorado Link project begin? Is it a relatively new um, collaboration uh, where you're still working on coordinating all of this uh, in these various agencies? And um, how is it working so far? Well, we've, we got start- a, we've got a few minutes until the break. We started up about three and a half years ago. Uh, and we received some funding from the Animal Assistance Foundation to start this project and began with some needs assessment in the community, and we've done a lot of training across Colorado for different populations, human services, probation, animal control agencies, um, to teach them about the link itself and how it might show up in their work And along with that, we've been creating the website where we're 
developing information for both the public and also for the professional disciplines um, so that they know in their role what do I need to know and who do I need to work with in terms of cross-reporting and coordination. So um, we're developing that. It's kind of an ongoing process and then also doing outreach in our state to uh, make sure that the specific disciplines get specific information for them so they know to support them in their role related to the link. So it's kind of an ongoing uh, development of information and also coordination of, of training and communication. I can. I think the operative word right there is ongoing. I don't think any of this uh, would ever be static, that it would be a constantly building and flexible and merging uh, right. uh, group of resources between all these various agencies. And it would be thrilling if this could uh, model could grow beyond Colorado. And on that note, we're going to take a short break. Once again, we're with Jim Pyle and uh, Professor Philip Tedeschi, uh, both working with the Institute for Animal-Human Connection out of the Graduate School of Social Work at Denver University, and we're learning about the link between animal abuse and human welfare, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. We're with Jim Pyle and Philip Tedeschi talking about the Colorado Link, 
or the Link Project, which uh, coordinates and connects and collaborates with a multidisciplinary uh, venue of resources and agencies throughout the state to help prevent, assess, and I- I accurately, I think that's a key word, accurately identify um, abuse and the maltreatment of, of humans as these go together. Um, we were talking before the break how these instances of where someone in need or an agency in need uh, assesses and comes to the link. And you've on your website, uh, you've ta- talked about interventions. Uh, what is an intervention and how does this come to the attention of the link and how does the staff deal with it? Um, I've got a list here of a variety of things that you deal with, interpersonal violence, child maltreatment, criminal behavior, maltreatment of at-risk adults, and animal cruelty. How does all this come together and its significance and import to addressing this issue between abuse and the effects on people? Well, that's a that's a big question, Ellie. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> um, but it's a it's a good question, and you know, I think one of the things that maybe many people don't realize is that Colorado statute uh, outline and define, you know, in very specific terms, what animal cruelty is, and that when that information is taken um, and then presented, that a judge can. Uh, order a specialized evaluation of that individual. Um, and one of the things that uh, Jim and I have been working on, Jim mentioned we've been doing training statewide. We've trained in virtually every corner of and uh, judicial district and county in Colorado over the last three and a half years that uh, one of the things that a, a specialized evaluation will do is it'll tell us what is really going on and why is that why do why is that animal cruelty investigation occurring? What's what are the issues going on behind the scenes? And often what we find is that animal cruelty is really a signal, um, you know, kind of a canary in the coal mine kind of a situation, where oftentimes we find there's many other things going on, and so, you know, it's important for people to recognize that animal cruelty is a very serious offense that there's very real, uh, you know, real suffering and oftentimes uh, very real risk occurring and that often it also is predicting violence directed at other individuals, other vulnerable persons in that environment. So it's not that uncommon for us to find that animal cruelty when it's investigated carefully also then, you know, opens this, this, you know, this investigation into the fact that we may also have of another person that's at risk. So it's not uncommon to see a child, you know, a child abuse or a child maltreatment in, uh, situation or in many cases, you know, an intimate partner violence crime uh, occurring also. So um, most people don't realize that, that animal control officers, for example, are mandatory child abuse reporters. So that we, this is such a well-known fact that we have... We've cross-trained, you know, persons who investigate animal cruelty to be able to report other kinds of uh, human violence as well. So, in other words, do Colorado animal cruelty officers have uh, the, I'm going to call it the the power or the ability, such as police officers, to arrest 
Um, no, no. But what, what they do have is they have now are, you know, hopefully have the knowledge that this is part of their purview. And we, you know, one of the things Jim was mentioning is that we do cross training. So an animal control officer, you know, would know that it becomes part of their capabilities uh, to inform law enforcement of a of a of a person at risk under those circumstances. Although we do have some individuals who are considered humane law enforcement officers with those capabilities. The average uh, animal control officer's duty is specific to the animal investigation, but that doesn't mean that they can't know how to go about making a report to, let's say, um, human services for a child abuse report and a child welfare investigation um, or to interact you know, effectively with law enforcement. So, Jim, I'm going to bring this over to you. Um, first off, this is sort of a multi-layered question. Is there a difference between abuse and cruelty? And what are the major effects to a family in a neighborhood and their in the larger community um, that result from, let's say, an, interve- an intervention in a community from abuse on animals or uh, vice versa, abuse to, uh, on, on people? Okay, I'll probably have to chunk this down. So I'll start with uh, the first part of the question. In Colorado, our statute refers to animal cruelty. Um, so our, our statute, because just the mandate to address these issues, is our it's an animal cruelty statute. I think um, if we look at the definition of those words, abuse is to treat in a harmful, injurious, or offensive way. So it's physical maltreatment, so improper or excessive use of treatment, say medical treatment, and it's an actual act of to abuse. Cruelty is actually the desire to, to cause others to suffer or actions that cause suffering or an act or occurrence that causes suffering. So um, I think there's some fine lines, and you'll find folks with a mentality of cruelty will engage in abuse and acts of cruelty. So um, there's some semantical differences there, but our statute refers to animal cruelty and, and outlines the elements of that in Colorado, and it, that may be different in other states. I'm not certain how that's uh, addressed. So, okay, the second part of your question, you want to run that by me again? Um, what are the major effects to a community from... Um Witnessing a case, or let's say a neighbor has reported it, does this abuse and this animal abuse have a larger effect to the community from which it that the, uh, the intervention is taking place in? Do, do you work with the larger community in terms of helping them address, understand, and uh, is the same as you would with these other agencies, how to go about dealing with this situation? Bill, do you want to... I can barely hear you. Phil, do you want to approach this? or? Sure, sure. Um, well, Ellie, that's a really good question, and maybe one of the places to start would be to mention that you know animals serve as an integral role in the development of children. Um, although uh, there's a broader question here about kind of what's the benefit to all of us of having animals that are you know, treated well or healthy in our environment. And what the research tells us is that when we're exposed to animals that are experiencing abuse or cruelty, that there is a very detrimental effect 
to us, especially for the developing psychological health of children. And so um, one of the primary theories behind the link and how the link perpetuates itself from, uh, you know, through exposure to cruelty is that children are, who are exposed to cruelty are, in fact, learning that behavior, much like they would learn any behavior growing up in an environment. But this is very special because it's a relationship. It's an interpersonal, it's an interpersonal lesson. So if a child grows up in a home where they're uh, almost by definition either engaging in that cruelty themselves or learning how to be callous and unemotional and abusive, that they that begins to form their own uh, their own psychological characteristics that and then in turn begin to be perpetuated in their human relationships. So there's this belief that children who are exposed to animal abuse and cruelty are at greater risk of the development of conduct disorder. In fact, one of the things that we know is that uh, one of the earliest supported symptoms um, of conduct disorder is animal cruelty, emerging at about six and a half years old when children are growing up in this in in these kinds of homes so it puts these children at much greater risk of other kinds of problems later in life and conversely i mean this is probably doesn't come really as a surprise to anybody but a child who's growing up in a home where animals are treated humanely and respectfully and responsibly have the are developing those characteristics as part of their strategies for having relationships and they have these what we uh, in social work terms refer to as protective factors um, that improve their capacity to make friends, to be have successful relationships later on. So these behaviors are very predictive of how uh, our relationships go starting at very, very early ages and moving forward into adulthood. Okay, this brings me to a couple of questions that are going to go a little left field. We're talking about... Um, the nurturing or non-nurturing relationships that children grow up with. And Philip, you've previously mentioned how people are becoming increasingly isolated in our society through our technology and urbanization. Um, Riding in cars for long commutes and staring at computer screens or TVs for hours on end. And that brings me to the programming that um, we're currently seeing that is geared toward toward our youth. That is somewhat violent even though it's meant to be funny it's violent people you know animated cartoons banging on each other rudeness is a is a daily course do you think this is having effect on society wise on how children are growing up to relate not only to animals but to each other well i think there's no doubt about the uh, that fact and when it comes to this particular topic One of the things that we want to recognize is that animals are very prevalent, especially in the North American home. So when we're talking about children, you know, when we think about where we find children, in many households where we find children, we also find animals. You know, so we're talking in 80 million homes, we're going to see a companion dog and probably more cats than dogs. Um, So if we have that kind of prevalence, one of the things that we want people to understand is that's no longer a neutral 
environment. It's no longer neutral to that child's educational experience. The way that animal is interacted with, um, the way that animal is treated is going to influence the way that child will develop over the course of their life. And so it becomes one of the most prominent uh, and most common features in a North American home is that presence of that companion animal. So one of the things we really want to be interested in is what the quality of those relationships really are. If those relationships are abusive, um, we're going to see that child at greater risk of developing these higher risk factors. And if that animal's treated humanely and properly, we're going to see that child having the benefit of that as their early lesson. So, you know, I think, Ellie, what you're getting at, which I think is kind of well known now, is that this is part of learning theory, is that what we expose, you know, our young people to and what, you know, what goes in is part of what comes out. And, and uh, so we should be interested in, in what they're experiencing every day, especially on that on large prevalence basis, like with pet keeping. Thank you. That was an excellent, um, excellent answer. So I'm going to take that one step further. Um, there is a huge movement today for, between animal rights, um, animal wel- welfare, and uh, the individual animal mind. Um, we could go on that for a very long time, and it's uh, a lot. It's a contentious point in some ways. Um, but what I'm where I'm getting at is. We in this in this culture and in other cultures, we use animals for entertainment and food. Mm-hmm. Um, and do we, as a society, is is there an effect? And if we can teach children where our food comes from, who and what it is on our plate, that somewhere along the line, as they grow up, it could create a more compassionate atmosphere toward humane treatment of our food production, livestock, and farm animals. That's a big question. That's another big question. <laughs> um, I well, hope you don't mind my asking it, yeah. and I'll and I wouldn't mind hearing an answer from both of you. Well, and and I'm, I'm sure Jim uh, would like to give you an opinion about this. One thing I would like to make clear is that if people go to the Colorado Link uh, Project website, one of the things that they'll notice is that we're not speaking very directly at the issue of things like farming and farm animals or even the consumption of animals for food, in part because there is a distinction in our minds between um, those kinds of behaviors that in some cases are often very difficult to see and, and even, you know, many people would define as cruel behavior but are often distinguishable from illegal forms of animal cruelty that um, are really the primary focus of the Colorado Link Project website. So let me take that back a second. We've seen, and I'm sorry to harp on this, but it is an important issue to me because I think what we're seeing in humane uh, relationships with animals are is really important um, yeah. to engender. So we've seen humane and society organizations, videos, of the abuse and the maltreatment of animals in food production lots. Mm -hmm. So this abuse is being perpetrated by employees. So these employees, does it have a relationship at all to, let's say, illegal status or the status of um, a person within the United States, low income? um, So where does this abuse of lifestyle come to that it would pass on from, let's say, management to employee to animals, the food animals in their care, and then dealing with that when they go home. 
How yeah. do they deal with that in a family situation? How would you address that for the children? You Did that make sense? Yes, I think so. Um, Jim, do you want to touch on that? Well, I think that this is a, <laughs> a difficult topic, but I think always when we're looking at acts of abuse, it's really looking at a specific individual and their psychological makeup and issues of callousness and the choices they make. And I think there's been some research, I can't quote any off the top of my head, really looking at some of the behaviors of folks that work in, in packing plants, etc., where some, some of those individuals do have a propensity towards more acts of callousness and violence. Now, obviously, in any home, irregardless of, of where the parents work or what they do, if they bring that into the home and teach children that and promote that kind of behavior, you have a development of more abusive behaviors. And, yeah. and that happens in, in any home. So I don't think it's specific to that. Um, I think, you know, there are bigger issues in terms of ecological impact and and humane education which I would promote that we do at a much more stringent level in all of our schools with young children, you know, promoting empathy towards living creatures, et cetera. So I think there's, there's a lot of things we can do on a wide societal level that, that would be beneficial. And that's a really excellent point, and we've got to take for a break, but I would really appreciate it, Jim, if you pick up when we come back with how we can do that, how we can engender a better relationship. So stick with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. We're with Jim Pyle and Philip Tedeschi of the Institute for Human-Animal Connection at the Graduate School of Denver University and the Colorado Link Project. I would urge our listeners, uh, if they're looking for more information, either uh, about how the link works or how to get involved or how to build this and and the the connections in such a project, you can visit coloradolinkproject.com. That's their website or the Institute for uh, human animal, animal connection. I think it's ihack.org. Um, and you can find out more about both of our guests today. So as before the break, we were leading into, um, the societal aspects of understanding and recognizing abuse and cruelty where it happens and how do we deal with it. We're aware that most children's innate connection, or at least lack of fear and curiosity of animals, is hardwired. We're attracted to cuteness, to babies, you know, to the point that we breed dogs for cuteness. So where along the way of growing up do we lose this connection and why? And how can we promote more humane education? Well, I'm going to throw that out to both of you. Jim, why don't you start? And then, Philip, why don't you come back? Sure. Okay. Um, I think that humane education and just awareness about relationships with animals oftentimes starts in the home. I think many of the issues oftentimes we will see is when families or parents and children do not have a good understanding about animal behavior then you oftentimes have incidents of biting incidents, for instance, um, aggressiveness that get mishandled, for lack of a better way to put that, and sometimes that ends up in episodes of abuse or neglect. So I think there's a role for parents to learn more about animal behavior and not just to go get their kids a pet because it's cute. And and also in there, how to approach an right. animal correctly, right. yes? So, yes, and I think that's critical, learning about animal body language. And oftentimes we see a lot of the very ways that people approach animals are oftentimes a threat to an animal, and people don't realize that. They'll run up, they'll stick their hand out, they'll bend over the animal, they'll stare at it. They do all these things that, to an animal, are potential threats, reaching over their head, etc., and people just do that because that's what they learn. And often you have biting incidents, etc. So I, I think there's a lot that parents and schools can do around education about animal safety. And we have some resources on the coloradolinkproject.com on our, you go to our professional toolkits and look under education professionals. We have a lot of resources to point people in the direction to learn about animal behavior and safety, but also promoting humane education activities in schools. And that would be good for schools and parents and individuals or family members alike, yes? Yes, very much so. Okay. So how, leading from this, how strong a role does, um, and I'm, I'm going to lead this back to you, uh, Philip, how strong a role does peer pressure and the group mentality syndrome play in either engaging in and thus working towards stopping animal cruelty when it's, when it's seen or when it happens? 
Well, peer pressure is certainly one type of um, behavior that can influence all all kinds of good things and and problematic behavior. So we we always want to recognize, especially for young people, that the influence of the uh, you know peer pressure can be a big issue. What I think um, you know is important, and Jim was I think getting at this issue, is that humane treatment of animals could really be part of the fabric of every family's interaction, not only you know, with their companion animals, but with living, any living being, including each other. Um, you know, but there is also, some, you know, an area, uh, Ellie, that we probably want to recognize is, um, you know, also a part of animal cruelty, which is that, you know, in populations that um, what we consider clinical populations or in some cases um, forensic populations, that there's a higher prevalence of animal cruelty. So in many cases when we're seeing animal abuse and cruelty, we're really looking at a very severe or significant pathological issue as well. And those are individuals who need formalized intervention, need to be in, in the treatment and care of somebody who is professionally able to respond to uh, conduct disorder and antisocial antisocial functioning or the other drivers behind that animal cruelty. In some cases, um, those uh, those kinds of behaviors emanate from problems like that person's own traumatic or mental health histories, and that the only way to really intervene in those situations is to have proper intervention. So, I mean, many of us have heard about situations like animal collecting and hoarding, those situations are very severe mental health problems that require professional assistance in order for them to be addressed properly. So, so we want to just understand that animal cruelty um, has to be looked at, you know, thoughtfully and carefully, and that that becomes an important element of accurate response. And that's really one of the primary uh, objectives behind the Colorado Link Project site. And I would say behind the Institute for Animal-Human Connection, um, which is a a graduate school program that is bringing up a whole new cadre, so to speak, of young um, professionals, social workers in this field to recognize that this relationship is critical as we move forward uh, as a society, as a population. Um, I understand how we've got a few minutes left. I understand how this would be very beneficial. The, the Link Project and IHAC would be very beneficial in our Western culture where we have access to these tools. But how does this, and how do you address, because it's also mentioned on your websites, other cultures that do not have the same relationship, emotional connection to animals that, let's say, we do in North America well, or the we developed only- world? Yeah, and you know, it, it's very important that we understand that not everybody ha- not everybody even, you know, likes animals or wants animals in their home or feels the same way about them. And that's really not what our project is is getting at so much, but we do want to recognize that cultures that are distinct from one another have different types of relationships with animals. But it has become a conclusion of our work and our research over the years that whether or not you feel the same way about a particular species of animals is really not so much what we're getting at, but that cruelty is bad news in any culture. And so what we're starting to see, uh, and I think, um, you know, you were touching on this earlier, Jim, was that our research that has looked 
at the link is identifying the fact that cruelty, whether it's Eastern Europe, for example, where there's policies that might allow for the extermination and killing of animals in a very public manner that expose children to that behavior in this, let's say, you know, in, um, you know, in an everyday capacity as part of their living in a, in their community, or whether we're talking about the rap, you know, the, the rabid, um, you know, extermination of animals through poaching, uh, in East Africa, all of those have deleterious effects on those communities and the individuals living there. So there are connections to this issue worldwide. Well, this is fascinating. So um, I do, I did notice uh, that you have uh, at the Institute for Human Animal Connection uh, a uh, you're hosting a workshop, I believe, called The Role of Shelter Dogs in Human Health and, and uh, the Colorado Connection, and that's coming up on May 3rd? What? Uh, no, no, I think you're looking, that's the one that's already occurred. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Do you have any workshops or we do. resources coming up? We do. Uh, probably one that many listeners might find really exciting. We're very um, thrilled to be hosting this on May 7th and 8th at the University of Denver at... Um, at our program, we are hosting the first international conference on the role of animals in trauma recovery uh, work. So we're focusing on the role of animals in treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder, on child maltreatment, and on crisis response. And that is um, open to the public, and you can find that information uh, off of our website at the Institute for Human-Animal Connection at the University of Denver. And that's humananimalconnection.org, all one word. Yes. And then there's another one, uh, www.du.edu forward slash social work forward slash, correct? Yes. So that's uh, an amazing um, workshop coming up. And you also have an online resource where people can get involved. Can you mention that briefly sure. for us? For those persons that are particularly interested in this and are interested in incorporating animals in their professional work, we uh, have a distance learning professional development course called the Animals and Human Health Certificate. And that program is um, uh, four courses, three of which are done through distance learning technology and one is done at the home campus uh, on, at the University of Denver. Well, that's amazing. So um, we have just like a few minutes to wrap up. Uh, Jim and Philip, and I'm going to take this to Jim first, what would be the most important thing you would like our listeners to take away today about the connections between abuse, cruelty, and human welfare and the Colorado Link and how it uh, addresses these issues? Well, I I would like really for for people to have a greater awareness of the relationships between animals and humans and how those relationships can uh, become harmful. So I would encourage people to visit our website, learn more about the signs and symptoms of, of animal maltreatment as well as how that's connected to the other elements of child maltreatment and at-risk adults and violence and criminal behavior just in terms of raising awareness and then also what I would say to people is when in doubt, report. The best way for us to address these issues is to have them reported and investigated so we can determine 
what's really going on and what's the appropriate response is I think that really has a, a lot to do oftentimes with preventative. If we respond effectively, that it can be preventative towards future violence. And I think it's, it's a public safety issue that we need to address. Um, so, so how do you get people to get over that hump and actually report? We know people witness this all the time. So how do you help people understand the, the, um, that there is no stigma or to get away from that, what perceived stigma, to report? Well, I think one thing is to realize that it's, it's violence and that it's harmful. And um, I think what we are finding is that there's a great awareness of that. I know in Colorado that uh, there's a very strong emotional response when people see abuse that we do get a lot of reporting. So I think it's really to connect those dots and say, wow, you know, there's probably more to this than we're seeing. And if this person's being abusive to this animal, what are they doing to the other people in their environment? So I hope our listeners took that as an operative uh, takeaway today, that what you, there's, what you see out there, there's usually a lot more going on. And if you see abuse, whether it be toward an animal or toward an, a fellow human being or a fellow non-human being, the best thing to do is report it to an agency there uh, in your neighborhood uh, or a state agency that is geared toward doing something about this. Um, Philip, uh, what we've got a couple minutes. I've got one quick question, and then I'd like to know uh, what you'd like to take us away. Uh, you'd mentioned um, animals as victims. Do animals, uh, this goes into maybe more of an ethology, ethological uh, or animal behavior question, do abused animals recognize abusive people? Wow, well, that's a, that's a very interesting question. I I personally believe that, you know, animals are, have complex emotions and complex thoughts are highly sentient and much like any of us understand that's, that, you know, that uh, their interactions with others are, uh, can be positive or can be scary and fearful. And we increasingly have a lot of evidence that animals can experience very similar uh, reactions to human post-traumatic stress disorder and that that those um, experiences can impact them, you know, for long periods of time, in some cases forever. Um, many of our animals that are... Uh, You're breaking up. Yeah, I'm not sure we're, exactly. We're breaking up a little bit, but I think where you were might have been heading is that when we look at shelter dogs that come from... that perhaps came from an abusive situation. Just like abused children, they need a little extra care. There are resources to help work with abused children and abused animals and animals as victims. So we're out of time today. I would like to thank you very much, Philip and Jim, for joining us. It was a very highlighting, uh, enlightening program. Thank you so much for being my guests. Very pleasure. Thank you for having us, Ellie. And if anyone uh, would like to reach us, they can uh, reach us at the Institute for Human-Animal Connection. We'll look forward to, to, uh, to anybody who would like to know more about this. And I certainly hope our audience tunes into that and takes advantage of this resource. So that's it for today. Welcome to Our Wild World and all the things that have an impact uh, from, uh, as a result of our behavior. So until then, we'll see you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. 
Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 